Hi, I'm Dan Souza. I am editor-in-chief of Cooks Illustrated and host of the YouTube series, What's Eating Dan? Not a lot of people know this, but before I got into food, I had a very different career for a couple of summers during college. Uh, I couldn't get an internship to save my life, and so my mom found an opportunity at the local cemetery for me. I had another unfortunate situation going on at the same time where I had surgery, and I actually had my jaw wired shut for about seven weeks. The cemetery I was working in um, uh, was Sleepy Hollow Cemetery in Concord, Mass. And there's quite a few famous authors buried there. And I'd have people come up to me all the time, ask me where the author's graves are buried. And, you know, I'd want to answer them. And I knew exactly where it was, but I had my jaw wired shut. So it would sound something like, oh, yeah, you just go right over there around the corner and you'll, you'll see some graves right up there. And the looks that I got and the people just like walking away with their kids in the opposite direction, it was a blow to the ego. But I learned a ton about the cemetery arts. And I learned that I wanted to do something different in life. I'm Jesse Sparks, and this is The One Recipe, a pod where we put chefs and home cooks in the hot seat and ask them, what's their one? That classic recipe they constantly reinvent. The one that proves you really can teach an old recipe new tricks. This week, we're getting into the nitty-gritty with Dan Souza. Dan is the editor-in-chief of Cooks Illustrated, a cast member of the Emmy Award-winning show America's Test Kitchen, and host of the National Magazine Award-winning show What's Eating Dan. He's a bona fide recipe obsessive after years of working as a recipe tester, developer, and editor. Plus, he makes complex food science feel like a wacky experiment. Have a listen. Dan, hello. Thank you for making time. Jesse, it is my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Oh my God, any time. So you have just gotten back from a global tour of your own. You were visiting Japan. How was it? It looked gorgeous. Yeah, it was two weeks in Japan. It, you know, it's been on the top of my list for a long time and it did not disappoint. It was such a fabulous trip. Uh, we had like a list of foods we wanted to eat and I think we checked them all off. And then there were just surprise hits that I never even, you know, wasn't even on the lookout for. So, um, one memory that really sticks with me is we were in Osaka and we stopped by this sweet potato vendor and tried, I think, six different varieties of sweet potatoes just simply roasted with nothing on them. And we could compare, they were so different. Some were just like dripping with sugar syrup. They were so sweet. Um, and it was really, it was really cool. Like in America, there's no, there's no street food that simple, you know, that doesn't have like eight sauces on it and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, I, I just loved the kind of purity of it and the the flavors were were really miraculous. Oh my God, I'm so jealous. And also just a simple roasted sweet potato on the go is a perfect snack. I it wish is. it would catch on in America. <laughs> I need it to catch on. Well, Jesse, you and me, we got to get together and just make it happen. No, because it's it's totally true. Like it didn't need anything else, you know? Right. Though I will say that we did get one. They had it, uh, one that you could do with cheese and honey. And we also got that and that that was pretty pretty good too. <laughs> okay, so now you're just showing off. Now you're just flexing. But <laughs> this actually isn't your first kind of food focus foray during an international trip, right? Uh, your kind of first cooking professionally exploration or your first venture into the cooking world was kind of through a side gig while you were working abroad. Is that right? Yeah, it is. It's so funny. It, and it's such a long time now. Sometimes I kind of forget that that was really where the, I don't know, the spark for 
food and cooking professionally really started. But I was, uh, the year after I graduated college, I was teaching English in this really rural, small village in, in Hungary, uh, not far from the Romanian border. I would teach like kids during the day and then some adult classes at nights, you know, teaching English. And one of my adult students was the chef at the local restaurant. And the restaurant is not like a restaurant we'd kind of think of here. It kind of did everything for the town. So they they would serve, you know, school lunches out of the building during the day, uh, weddings and big functions on the weekends. That was the place to go. So it was kind of like the spot. And um, so the chef was one of my students and I just asked him on a whim, like, could I come and hang out on, you know, Sundays and kind of cook with you? And he was like, sure, come on in. And it was just an incredible life lesson, really. Uh, you know, like the father of the bride, if there was a wedding that weekend, would drop off half a steer earlier in the week. Oh and um, Mishi is the name of the chef. And um, he would let me help. I wasn't doing all that much help. But um, we would like, you know, break break it down and turn it into stew and stock and uh, just make everything like true, true scratch cooking, like country cooking. And it just opened my eyes to like the pleasures of cooking for others, having it be your job. And I would say like I always had a passion for it, but that's really where kind of the, the bug bit me and, um, <laughs> and, and, and put me off on a, a really different path for my career. So then when you got back, you were like working at like a marketing firm. Is that correct? Yeah, I did. So, you know, I got back and I was like, well, I went to college, you know, for like four years, maybe I need to do something in that vein. And so I worked at an ad agency for maybe a year and a half and it was fun. I mean, I, you know, cool people. We were working on some fashion stuff and I was having a good time, but I couldn't get food out of my head. And at one point I just told myself, you're going to regret it if you don't explore this. So uh, I quit. I started making salads for like 10 bucks an hour at a local spot and um, just loved it, you know, and I learned how to make fresh pasta and, and kind of worked my way around the kitchen. Um, and I was like, yeah, I, I want to explore this. So I went to culinary school for a couple of years um, did a short stint um, at La Bernadette in um, in Midtown Manhattan, which was a dream. I've always loved seafood, uh, and I you know loved it and was learning a ton. And really came to the conclusion that like you know there's always going to be way better line cooks than me, and I, I can do it. But I, there's something else I want to do here, and you know so sort of found my way to Cooks Illustrated um, here at America's Test Kitchen, and that was like. Oh my God, I'm going to feel so old saying this, but that was like 15 years ago. Um, and so I've just kind of been working my way up and um, I, I started as a test cook and I thought that was my dream job. And now I'm editor-in-chief of Cooks Illustrated and now this is my dream job. So I, I feel very fortunate. I've had a um, a nice trajectory and path and it just allows me to you know, talk about food every day, taste food every day, write about it, think about it and, you know, What's what's better than that? I don't think there's anything better than that. Nothing. So it sounds like your one might have something to do with your tenure at Cooked Illustrated. Is your one a recipe that you were introduced to while you were working there? <laughs> yes, definitely. So, uh, and a recipe that I didn't really like at first, if I'm going to be honest with you. <laughs> um, so the story goes like this. Basically, a very talented pastry chef uh, named Yvonne Reparti, who uh, was working at Cook's Illustrated before me, had started this recipe for butterscotch pudding. 
And we have a really rigorous process here. I'm, I'm sure everyone's sort of familiar with it, but basically like after we've spent six weeks toiling over a recipe and, and fine tuning it and making it like as, as perfect as we can, we send it out to this panel of home volunteers, like, like cooks at home that will make our recipes and they give us feedback on them. Uh, there's probably 75,000 of them now and we're always looking for more. And it went out to survey and, and we we asked them all kinds of questions like was this awkward was anything challenging you know uh could you not source ingredients and we learned a ton from that process and this recipe while we loved it in house could not make it through that survey system people were li- liked it but it failed for them or they didn't like this you know all that kind of stuff and so it would kind of been put on the shelf for a little while. And then I came along and they were like, you're going to do butterscotch pudding. And I had heard all these stories before, so I kind (laughs) of knew what they were setting me up for. So I I wasn't pumped going into the kitchen to work on it, but I I made her recipe and I made a few others and I was like, you know what? Butterscotch pudding is amazing. It is comforting. It's complex. Like it's a simple kind of thing. It's pudding, but the flavor is incredibly complex. It's just satisfying on so many levels. And it is something I had as a kid, but hadn't really thought about for, you know, a good 20 plus years. And then so I started to get really into it and I was testing every variable under the sun and new ways to make pudding. Um, And I ended up being like, I love this. I'm going to make this, even if this never gets through survey, I'm going to make this. Um, But after probably like five or six weeks of working on it, we did send it out to survey and I was able to get it through. Um, and so it was, a, it felt like a big win for me kind of early in my, my career, um, here at the magazine. And I was just so pumped to see it in print because that, that means like millions of people are going to make this recipe and experience, I think in a lot of ways, the, the shift that I did, right? Like, oh, butterscotch pudding, oh, wait, butterscotch pudding, <laughs> you know, this is a thing. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, it, it was, it was really exciting. And honestly, it is, I make it a ton to this day and it's the perfect thing. If you're having people over, make ahead dessert. You can serve it with a little bit of like unsweetened whipped cream on top, which is makes it a little more, more elegant. But there's no one at the table that's going to not <laughs> ask for the <laughs> recipe or try to take some home. It just hits right. Okay, so the skies have parted. The sun is shining down on this perfect recipe. Can you mm-hmm. whip us through it real quick? Sure, sure. I would love to. Yeah. So, so the, the flavor of butterscotch is unique, right? It's not caramel. It's, it's deeper and richer than that. It's, it's kind of different. And so the one thing that it starts with is obviously butter. Um, but you're, you're making a a caramel, but you have a lot of, uh, dairy in there. So you've got all that butter. And what that really does is it takes you from this world of caramelizing to the world of the Maillard reactions. And so we're going to get a little bit nerdy here, but I promise that's for the sake of tasty <laughs> pudding. Uh, so, you know, making caramel, you have sugar and water and you get something that, you know, you produce hundreds of different flavor compounds and it's complex. We all know caramel is complex. When you add protein into the mix, you step into the Maillard reactions, which are like caramel times 10. You get tons and tons, you know, thousands of different aroma compounds and this wonderful complexity. So having butter in there in, while you're making the caramel is really important. We also have brown sugar in that caramel, which adds, you know, another layer of kind of molasses good flavor there. So, um, so we cook that and get it uh, to a beautiful kind of peanut butter color. Then we take it off the heat. We add more dairy in. So this is where our cream goes in. And that kind of stops the caramel. You'll see it bubble like crazy and adds a lot of richness to it. Um, then we have some milk. 
And then we've got basically the the base of the pudding, but it hasn't been thickened yet. And then mm-hmm. so we finally thicken it with um, egg yolks and cornstarch, which we have in a, in a large bowl. And it actually uses a really unique technique for making a pudding. Instead of tempering sort of back and forth, we have enough cornstarch in there to protect the yolks that we can basically bring that caramel uh, butterscotch pudding mixture up to a boil and just pour it right in. And it instantly thickens in front of your eyes. It's really kind of a beautiful thing. And for people um, who may not understand just how time-saving this is, just how exciting this yeah. is, <laughs> otherwise, that tempering process that Dan was just referring to, you'd be kind of pouring little bits out of the out of the pot, just trying to make sure that your yolk and cornstarch mixture isn't going to immediately scramble. It's making sure you're not going to get little bits of eggs in there. You're just making sure that the whole process kind of happens much more quickly, resulting in a smoother pudding than you might otherwise get. And we know all this because Dan and company <laughs> tested it to death, <laughs> right? I Yes, t- to death is, is pretty accurate there. Yeah, I would say so. <laughs> Um, exactly. That's, that, that's totally how it works. And then, so at that point, you're really just cooling it down. So you let it cool a little bit at room temperature, put some, um, sprayed parchment on top so you don't get a skin on top of the pudding and then chill it for a few hours and then you're, you're ready to go. And you can do it in a big bowl or you can do it in small, cute little serving bowls, you know, so you can just take those out and, you know, slide them on the table for, for folks to eat. Um, but yeah, so it's, there's a simplicity to it. It's more complicated than a box pudding mix, but, um, but not a lot more. And if anything, it's so straightforward and so smart because you can use these techniques in other recipes. Um, like for instance, using that that corn syrup in here is also what makes sure that your sugar doesn't crystallize. You don't get those hard kind of clumps or anything. It it really is ingenious. So about how long are you leaving it in the fridge to kind of cool and set? So uh, about three hours, you know, I mean, I like to taste it warm right away. It's wonderful. Uh, but you get that the firmest set after about three hours in the fridge. And then right before serving, it'll come out and it, it, you'll take the parchment off and you'll be like, oh, it doesn't look as shiny and kind of nice as I thought pudding should. And it's uh, it just needs a really vigorous whisk. Um, and, and you'll see that it smooths right out. You get this nice sheen to it and it ends up being, you know, gorgeous, gorgeous looking butterscotch pudding. So it's a very, very simple way to kind of finish it off at the end. All right. So when you're talking about that Maillard reaction, you're talking about the taste of something that that has had time to fully brown and get a little bit more complex, right? That's exactly right. So we talk about Maillard reaction with steaks. When you get that beautiful sear in a steak, um, it's responsible for the beautiful browning on a loaf of like rustic bread. And it shows up all over the place. And so in all of these cases, what we're really talking about is starting out with a pretty simple formula of you have protein that can break down into its building blocks um, that are amino acids and sugars. And when those both are present with heat, so you apply heat to them, you get uh, this cascade of reactions that are actually very, very complicated and not even fully understood, but they produce tons of color. That's why you get the beautiful browning. They produce tons of aroma compounds, which, you know, give you, I mean, the smell of, of, of baked bread, right? Like that is so complex and so interesting. The sear on a steak, so basically the, the smells that we find the best in the kitchen, right? All over right. the place. Um <laughs> And so, and in here, it transforms what would otherwise be kind of a caramel flavored uh, pudding into one that 
we call butterscotch that's got uh, so much more complexity to it. Already, it sounds so, so good. And <laughs> I think this is the recipe I'm just going to keep in my fridge at all times for anyone who just pops by to visit or any summer gatherings I host. Dan, thanks for making time. Oh, you're so welcome. Thanks for having me. Dan Souza is an award-winning TV host and the editor-in-chief of Cooks Illustrated. You can find that recipe for butterscotch pudding on Instagram at the.one.recipe and at theonerecipe.org. And hey, if you liked what you heard here today, take a minute to let us know. Like or subscribe. It makes a big difference for us. This week's episode was made for you by producer Erica Romero, associate producer Ren Farrell, technical director Alex Simpson, and digital producer James Napoli. Sally Swift is our managing producer. APM Studios executives in charge are Chandra Kavati, Joanne Griffith, and Alex Schaffer. Beth Perlman is our executive producer. The One Recipe was created by Sally Swift and Erica Romero. I'm Jesse Sparks. This is APM Studios. Go make some magic. <laughs>